Round one of the Subway Series goes to the New York Mets as they sweep the two-game series from the New York Yankees. The Bombers trade for an outfielder, which means another outfielder is on its way out. I'll have all the baseball and keep you up to date on what's happening with the wild card. Kyler Murray has to watch how much film in a week and who's monitoring him as training camps open throughout the NFL. Will Brittany Griner be on U.S. soil sooner than later as the current administration makes an offer? And Jason Tatum has something to say about KD coming to Boston. I'll have all that as we close out the month of July in grand style. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as we're just days away from August. Summer is slowly starting to slip away. From where I'm at, it's getting dark before 9. The sun is rising a little later. So enjoy these moments, people. Make the most of your time here during the summer because it is never coming back. Unless you want to wait until next year, and we all know that's no guarantee. So what's guaranteed is that another rapid-fire, action-packed sports podcast is on deck as this is the J-Reels Podcast with your host, J-Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Still have a few things to chew on here as we get to close out this month, and the sports scene is pretty much... I don't want to go as far as saying dead because we do have the baseball and there's a lot to cover there. But training camps have finally opened up and Kyler Murray, we talked about his contract the other day. And now there is a clause in that contract stating that he has to watch four hours of film a week as a mandate to his $230 million contract or whatever it was at the end of the day. You know I have a couple things to say about that. Also, Julio Jones signing with Tampa. That's a big move for the Bucks as they try to make another Super Bowl push. And who knows if this is going to be it for Tom Brady. Not that that's a story, but you get where I'm coming from. Brittany Griner, she is one that I have not really discussed on this podcast. And now we have a developing situation to where the administration here, Joe Biden, is looking to 
make an offer to the Russian government to see if they could get not only Brittany Griner home, but another American, a former Marine, and a one Paul Whalen. So I'll share my thoughts on that later on, as well as Jason Tatum responding to the Kevin Durant trade talks, or at least the discussions that the Celtics are engaging in to bring in the future Hall of Famer. So you know, I'll delve in on that a little bit. And that's pretty much what you have. NHL's quiet. I know there's a UFC bout this weekend with uh, Amanda Nunez and Pena. For those who are interested in that. And I haven't really touched on the UFC over the last, I don't know, a couple of months. Not that I'm going to get into that fully. But that is something that may be on my radar this weekend. And I could possibly discuss come Monday. But with the baseball, the last two days, especially living here in the Northeast. And everybody knows how big of a Met fan I am. And no, I'm not puffing out my chest. To me, I'd rather see this in October. If it's against the Yanks, even better. But yes, for the regular season, for bragging rights, we know how much this means to the Met fan for the Mets just to win a game, let alone win a series. A brief one at that, two games at City Field, where they'll resume the Subway Series next month at Yankee Stadium, August 22nd and 23rd. And what we take away from these two games isn't really that much Yes, the Mets show some fight. They show some gumption considering they were down 2-0 before they got to bat there on Tuesday night. And then they scored four runs. The catalyst being Starling Marte and Eduardo Escobar. Those are the two guys that are front and center when we look at these two games because how that first inning started and then when you look at how the game ended, when you bookend those two games with a four-run first inning and then a game-winning run in the ninth where Escobar hits a double, And then Marte brings him in with the game-winning RBI. I believe it's 11 walk-off hits since 2014, which if you want to keep track of that, good for you. But those two guys were in the middle of these Met victories. And going back to Tuesday night, after the two home runs back-to-back, Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo, you kind of thought to yourself, this could be one of those games where either the Yankees are going to be off and running and Taiwan Walker, who's pitched phenomenally in the first half, and we saw what he did last year, made the all-star team, and then fell off a cliff after that. Well, he remained poised, he remained calm and collected, and then it also helped that the Mets scored four in the bottom of the first. And crazy to think that once you got to the bottom of the first and it was 2 nothing, and as a Mets fan, you're thinking, let's not get embarrassed here. And then they score those four runs to take a 4-2 lead. And then the next thing you're thinking of, this is going to be a 9-8 game. And probably three and a half hours to four later, where it could come down to a final at bat. And it did not. The Mets were able to win 6-3. As I mentioned, Walker pitched well. A couple of big spots in the game where Walker got out of the fourth inning with Rizzo hitting that fly ball to the track with the bases loaded. The Mets tack on a couple more runs later. Then Edwin Diaz comes in to save the day, a four-out save, starting off with a strikeout of Joey Gallo. You could question, why did Aaron Boone put him up there? Understood that you're going to look at it from a standpoint of Gallo, if he were to get a hold of one, and granted that at that time it was 5-3, to three, you had a runner on first, and you're thinking that if you're the Yankees, you're just hoping and praying with your fingers crossed that he could... Get a hold of one, but as we've seen time after time after time, he is a strikeout machine and was unable to produce at that point. Then after McNeil gets the base hit to extend the lead from 5-3 to 6-3, a little bit of drama in that ninth inning where Diaz, with a runner on first, Judge hits a tapper back to the mound. Looks like it's going to be a game-ending double play, and then it slips out of his hands. 
You have Rizzo come up, who had a home run early in the game, and you're thinking this is where Diaz is going to spit the bit because in the back of the Met fan mind, despite how dominant he's been, despite him being just electric all year, there's always that one game. And we've seen it time after time after time that where Diaz, when you absolutely have to get that save, he spits it up. He hasn't really done that this year, but throughout his Met tenure, that is always going to stick in the back of your craw. And as it was, he does get the strike out of Rizzo, and then fans, Kleber Torres, then the game, Mets win 6-3, and then you have the game last night to where Max Scherzer was just magnificent. Seven innings, no runs, five hits, couple of walks, six strikeouts, including two big ones against Aaron Judge in the third inning and in the seventh inning when the Yankees were threatening, and of course the margin was slim. one nothing the first time around, and then 2 nothing there in the seventh to where he got the strikeout. And you're feeling good about yourself. You're just hoping that they could bridge from the eighth inning to the ninth where you saw Seth Lugo come in. But in between, David Peterson, who walks Rizzo on four pitches. And you know Rizzo's going to be patient there. And then the next pitch, Gleyber Torres takes him over the right field fence. The game is tied. And I thought right there the Mets were going to lose. I get it. I'm the cynical, jaded Met fan because, as I've said on the podcast last week, and I even made a mention to this on my TikTok account, Mets need to win Max Scherzer starts. More so against the bad teams, but in a game like last night, in which he threw 99 pitches, was just vintage bulldog Max Scherzer. Those big strikeouts against Aaron Judge in huge spots. And you know what? The building in those two games were pumped up, a lot of excitement, a lot of electricity throughout the ballpark, and especially in those two moments where it felt like a playoff game or a World Series game. And then for Peterson to let the air out of the building at that point, minus the Yankee fans celebrating, I just thought that if the Mets weren't going to respond, especially if it went to extra innings, because with the ghost runner on second, and it always seems to be that the team, the visiting team that's going to be able to have that advantage, always seems to pour it on and pile it on there especially if they get that lead run. Sometimes it even leads to an uprising to where you get two or three runs. Just ask the Tampa Bay Rays last night against the Baltimore Orioles. But for the Mets to then push it to the ninth inning, Escobar gets the double, Nito gets the sacrifice, and then you had the scenario where after Nimmo gets up, first and third, Marte gets the hit there against Juan Lee Peralta. And the Mets win the two games, Big games for them only because they've extended their lead in the NL East to now three games, four in the loss, with the Phillies winning two out of three in Philadelphia. And think about this. When you woke up Sunday morning, the Mets were a half game ahead of the Braves. And since then, you've gained two and a half games in the standings. And then they go to Miami this weekend to where the Braves, I believe they are playing the Diamondbacks, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. So the Mets have a little breathing room going into the weekend, day off today, play Miami over the weekend, and then they'll go to Washington at the start of next week, which you may see Jacob DeGrom, who had a rehab start yesterday. When you look at the numbers, did not pitch well, gave up two home runs. Off the top of my head, I forgot how many runs he gave up, walks, did strike out. I believe he struck out six. But to me, that's just a tune-up. I'm not going to get so wrapped up in his outing as far as what he did and how many runs he gave up, home runs, etc. Now he'll have a shot to possibly pitch Monday 
or Tuesday against the Nationals, and of course you're going to bring him back against a bad team. He's probably only going to pitch five innings, or his pitch limit may be no more than 75, 80 tops, I would think. And then to add to that, chances are if he does pitch Monday or Tuesday, he will pitch the following weekend when the Atlanta Braves come to town for a five-game set. And that's what you liked about the Mets where they set up their pitching rotation here because as you know, when you have a five-man rotation, they're not going to skip days. They're going to make sure that they're going to run the whole rotation out there. And it was smart for Buckshaw Walter to pitch Max Scherzer last night only because he will pitch now either Monday or Tuesday in Washington because remember, they do have a day off today. And then with him being set up to pitch last night, he will guarantee the pitch against the Braves because if they would have went according to plan to where Scherzer pitched Friday against the Padres, and then Scherzer likely would have pitched Friday against the Marlins to where he would have missed the Brave series. But you had him pitch there Friday night, San Diego, last night against the Yankees. He'll pitch Monday or Tuesday against the Nationals, and then he's going to pitch either Saturday or Sunday against the Braves. So the way they lined their rotation was perfect, not only for DeGrom to come back to get a good start under his belt, you would think, against a lowly national team, and then to face off against the Braves that weekend, and then Scherzer obviously lines up to pitch against his former team, and then obviously the Braves, which are huge games, next weekend at City Field. To where the Yankees, when you look at the flip side of that, they have a scenario where Jordan Montgomery, who did not pitch well, obviously, on Tuesday night, bullpen did very well, got to give them credit, and even did well last night, Domingo Herman, even though the home run to Alonso in the first, and yeah, fought in and out of trouble throughout the course of the evening, but the Yankee relief was very good, and to cap that off with the rotation, you wonder why the Yankees lined up Cole to pitch Saturday as opposed to Friday, and he could have pitched against the Mets last night, and I understand they're not going to skip the rotation or disrupt it by any stretch, but you could have had a possibility to where you had Cole versus Scherzer last night, which would have been just dramatic theater at its best. Of course, you didn't get that. You still got a good game. But now, with the Yankees having a little cracks in the armor here with the way they've performed going back to last week, losing the two games to the Astros there coming out of the break, all right, they beat the Orioles 2 out of 3, and in that game that they lost, remember, they were up 3 nothing, and Cole did not pitch well to where the Orioles won, and then they lose these two games to the Mets. So now you have the Royals coming in for 4, which should be low-hanging fruit. They should smack them all over Yankee Stadium throughout the course of the weekend, and you'll see Garrett Cole pitch tomorrow, meaning Friday, where Jamison Tyon will pitch tonight. So I'm sure that all will be well in Yankee land, but one move that they made last night And this will be the end of Joey Gallo as we know it. So the Yankees bring in Andrew Benintendi from the Royals for three minor league pitchers. I don't know how big they are as far as what their ranking is amongst the prospects in the organization. But bringing in Benintendi, good outfielder, was an all-star this year. Not only that, does not have the big power numbers, but is batting 320 this year. And they're going to plug him when necessary and when needed, which means Joey Gallo is going to be out the door, I'm sure, for a bag of baseballs. And you may have seen his last at-bat there Tuesday night at City Field. So with the Yankees now going into this stretch before the 
trade deadline, which is five days from now, August the, is it the second or the third? I should know that off the top of my head. I believe it's the third. So you still have about six days to go. And same for the Mets. Let's see what's going to happen here. We already seen them bring in the DH position with a guy like Daniel Vogelbach. Are they going to bring in another bullpen arm? Are they even maybe bringing another bat? That remains to be seen. But with the Subway Series now in the rearview mirror and the Mets doing well and the Yankees, I'm not going to say floundering. They were in both games. Mets pitched well. Diaz, I know, came in and struck out the side, struck out his four batters. Marte, Escobar were at the center of everything, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago. And now we'll wait to see how it all plays out from here until the next time they play. Not that it's going to matter between both teams. But again, when we have a Subway Series, it's always a lot of fun. And we got to experience that here over the last two days. The other interesting story over the past three days in baseball kind of fell under the radar because they've been playing well. They've been very hot. And as I talked about on Monday, could the Houston Astros be baseball's best team at the moment? Well, don't ask the Oakland A's because the Astros go to the Bay Area. And what happened? The A's swept the Astros out of Oakland Alameda Coliseum And not to say that you got to wonder what's happening with Houston right now. They were due to have a little bit of a lull. You would have least expected it to happen against the Oakland A's, where the A's are what? 38 and 63, I believe, when you wake up this morning. But it happens. Sometimes the bad team is going to beat the good team, whether it's two out of three or even a sweep for that matter. And that's what you saw there over the past three days, where now Seattle comes into Houston as the Astros will fly back. As a matter of fact, they're probably already back in their hometown. And then you'll have the Mariners close out their season series against the Astros this coming weekend. And then the Mariners, after getting swept by the Astros themselves up at home, they were able to do the sweeping themselves as they were able to turn their attention facing the Texas Rangers and beating up on them to the tune of a sweep, and Julio Rodriguez hitting his 18th home run yesterday. So even after that 14-game winning streak and then getting swept by the Astros, they got back on the beam to do the sweeping, and let's see how they perform this weekend. And interestingly enough, after losing that weekend where they lost those three games, and not that it matters in the division, well, they ended up gaining those three games back, which is strange. Not really anything to keep an eye on when we talk about the AOS, but at least, not to say it's going to make it interesting, But we'll see where Seattle kind of measures up this weekend after falling on their faces at T-Mobile Park last weekend and now go to Houston to face the Astros. Also, the Blue Jays, who had a seven-game winning streak going into the game last night against the Cardinals. Cardinals did not have Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt in the lineup due to them being unvaccinated. And obviously, we know about the restrictions going into Canada. But the... Cardinals were able to salvage the game yesterday where Pujols hits another home run, I believe his seventh of the year, and snapped the seven-game winning streak of the Blue Jays, but they're still in good position in the wild card as we speak because we've seen a few other teams fall by the wayside here, whether you're the Red Sox now that they're a game under 500, So all the hard work that they had early this year when they were, what, 11-20? and 20? And then they went on that stretch to where I believe they were 7 Games over 500. Well, now they're four and a half back of the Tampa Bay Rays in the wildcard mix, five in the loss. And now you really have to wonder with the trade deadline coming 
And I did men- make a mention of this the other day. What's going to happen with some of their pieces, whether it be J.D. Martinez, Hein Bloom did mention that Rafael Devers or Xander Bogarts isn't going anywhere. So it looks like they're not going to be pawned off here before the deadline. Devers, to me, he's untouchable. And Bogarts, I get it. He's a guy that's been with your team for seven or eight years, and I would think you'd want to keep him in the mix. So Bloom's probably going to do whatever he can to keep the core, so to speak, intact. Martinez, he could be a guy that may be traded. Who knows to what team? Not many rumors have come out as to where his next destination could possibly be. But the Red Sox look like they have an uphill battle that's staring at them. And who knows if they're going to be heard from between now and, let's face it, the rest of this year. Because the pitching has just been awful over the last few weeks. And then the Orioles, who won the first two games against the Tampa Bay Rays, they conclude a four-game set today, this afternoon. And if Tampa were to get this game, they would really be in good shape because the last thing that I thought that the Orioles needed was a split here. If they won three out of four, they could still be relevant, at least going into the weekend. But when we look at where they are in the wildcard standings, they are four games back. They'd want to get another game back, which means they would pick up two games against the Rays if they were to win today. If they don't, it's pretty much chalk. So... There seems to be a little bit of separation. Guardians, who won the two games against the Red Sox here early part of the week, they're hanging in, and also they're fighting for a division, so they have at least two avenues to go through as far as making it into the postseason. But now with the Orioles, White Sox, Red Sox, you have to wonder if the grip on a wild card is starting to slip just a little. And this is something that we'll pay attention to heading into the weekend because, like I mentioned, with the trade deadline, will any of these teams make moves? Will the Guardians look to maybe bring another bat or a pitcher just to keep themselves part of this wildcard race or even for the AL Central? That remains to be seen. But it's Toronto, Seattle, and Tampa all separated by a game. Toronto 54 and 44, Seattle 54 and 45, and Tampa 53 and 45. So that's going to be a fight to see who's going to be a part of the wild card. And it looks like Cleveland is going to hang around for a little bit. And the other three teams that I mentioned right now are starting to lose their grasp here in the American League. As far as the National League, we know about the Braves losing two out of three to Philadelphia, as I mentioned. The Padres lost a tough game in Detroit yesterday as they head back out west, Cardinals round out the three wild card spots in the National League. And then you have the Phillies, who are just a half game but tied in the loss for the final wild card spot. And then you have the Giants, who have really hit the skids here. They've lost seven in a row. They got swept in LA, as we talked about on Monday, and then just got swept by the Diamondbacks. So the Giants are in a tailspin where they're now two games under 500. The Marlins are behind them, 46 and 52, five and a half back of the final wild card spot, and the Giants are now three and a half back. So who knows? Just like we've seen in the American League, will the Giants now be looking to trade some players or look to sell here at the deadline? They're still within striking distance. This isn't anything that I would go crazy about if I'm a Giant fan. I know it's been a disappointing season, to say the least, considering what they did last year, and they lost in. 
crushing fashion to their division rivals in the divisional series last year. So let's see what the Giants are going to do here. I don't know who they play. In fact, they host the Cubs in San Francisco for four games starting today. And Miami will close out their series against the Reds in Cincinnati before going home to play the Mets this weekend. And Sandy Alcantara will pitch tomorrow night against Chris Bassett. That's what you have here in the wild card mix for the National League. And you have to wonder, will these teams, Giants, Marlins, do I even throw in the Diamondbacks? They're eight games on the 500 and the Marlins are six under. I won't even put them in there. To me, that's just way too premature. And then Colorado is seven back. Uh Uh-uh. I'll cut it off with the Marlins, and even that is a bit of a reach. But it looks like with the wild cards, you may not have a lot of drama as you get into August, the middle of the month, and then when you get to September, who knows what it's going to be like to where the Braves are in an excellent position to get the first wild card in the National League. So you have Padres, Cardinals, Phillies, you would think, We'll have three teams for two spots. And then who knows with the American League. If Cleveland hangs around, maybe they could be a part of the wild card scenario. But with Baltimore, the White Sox, and Red Sox, they may be out. So baseball could be pretty much out to sea for any drama, whether it's divisions or the wild card. And people are going to say, I'm ready for college football. I'm ready for NFL football because wake me up come October the 5th when the playoffs start and then I'll pay attention. And that's not a good thing if you're baseball. And we understand how top heavy it is. We understand what's gone on there with baseball as far as the teams in the big markets that are always going to be in play here when it comes to winning a championship or going deep into the playoffs. And as of right now, it looks like that's going to be the case. And when you think about big markets, you're not going to have the Cubs. It looks like you're not going to have the White Sox. You're not going to have the Red Sox. You may not have the Phillies. So it looks like it's going to be New York, L.A. I understand Atlanta's not a big market. Think about this. You know, Seattle, Toronto. You know, they'll spend money. San Diego, of course, has spent money. St. Louis is always in the playoffs. That's what you may have come October and nothing to really speak of when we get into August. And obviously September. And one last baseball note. I don't know if anybody's watched the Derek Jeter documentary. The first two parts aired last week. And I didn't watch them in its entirety. I watched them on ESPN+. And watching these first two episodes, you learned a little bit. I love the footage of him growing up. Especially when he got drafted by the Yankees. And how they, the filmmakers set that whole scenario up to where he was... Sixth or fell to sixth to the Yankees. And we all know his story about that's the only job he ever wanted. He wanted to be shortstop of the Yankees, et cetera, et cetera. But watching him in that old footage to where his dad was more excited than Jeter was. And I guess maybe he was just shell-shocked to think that he fell to sixth to the Yankees and wasn't exuberant, didn't seem overly excited, was just on the phone and... After it was all said and done, his father hugged him and was just ecstatic to know that he was drafted by the team that he grew up watching, especially with his grandmother back in New Jersey. So even though that was typical Derek Jeter, because he's a guy, as we've seen throughout the course of his career, 
is always going to be close to the vest, is not going to give you too much. And that's what you pretty much saw as a teenager, him hiding his emotion, or I guess if you want to say being his cool, calm, and collected self, even as a teenager, and we've seen him as a ball player for 20 years as a member of the Yankees. Obviously, this was good stuff. It's pretty much a trip down memory lane when you think about it. When you watch this, and I get it, just about every documentary that you watch, that's what you're going to come away with. And for me, going through that time and watching these first two episodes, whether it was not only just him growing up and going through the organization, but coming up in 95, the series against the Mariners, Don Mattingly, that whole angle, 96 with Clueless Joe, Joe Torre, and then we saw what happened there in 96, winning that World Series against the Braves. Next year, losing to the Cleveland Indians in the Division Series, and then obviously 98 was one of the great years that any team has had in the history of baseball. And I remember... All three of those years, vividly, I remember where I was at, what I was doing, that time in my life, which wasn't really a great time, because here I am, was going through a breakup with a girlfriend in 97, 98 was just pretty much bottomed out as far as financial situation, just love life was a mess. What more could I tell you? Watching the Yankees win another World Series and then to think subsequently, which I'm sure you'll see in episodes three and four, winning two more, including one against my team. But it did take me back to that time in watching those games, watching those teams, where I was, who I was hanging out with. And we're talking 24, 25, 26 years ago. In my 20s. And I remember all of it as if it happened last week. That's the crazy thing. And tonight is actually parts three and four, which I'll probably save for the weekend because my wife's a huge Yankee fan and we watched the first two parts and she enjoyed it. So we'll save it for the weekend and we'll catch up on those two episodes and uh, see where that takes us as far as Derek Jeter's journey in his lens through the filmmaker's eyes on the captain the ESPN documentary, which has been very good to date. All right, now to go from my baseball cleats to the football cleats because training camps have opened up. And no, I'm not going to start breaking down teams and breaking down the outlooks for what has taken place to date with certain teams and the hope springs eternal aspect of what is going to happen here, what is going to happen there. I already read a report, Steeler Camp, that Mitchell Trubisky threw two incomplete passes and there was people in the crowd already clamoring for first-round pick Kenny Pickett. Can we pump the brakes on that, people? And that's why I don't get wrapped up with training camp, with the exhibition season. As I've said before, and I'll say it one last time, just get me to September 11th, not even September 8th, because I understand that's when the season starts, but to me, the season starts that Sunday. The Rams and Buffalo Bills, Thursday night, we get it. SoFi, they're going to open up the season. World champs, banner. I'm sure you're going to have former Rams there, etc. But to me, that's not when the season starts. But with all that being said, and I digress, the one newsworthy note that I'm taking away from the last few days, and I mentioned about Kyler Murray's contract a bit 
on Monday, but then it came out that part of his contract, which I believe he got, what, $230 million and $160 million of that guaranteed, that he has a mandate of watching four hours a week of game film. And for an organization to do that, first off, it's unprecedented. I don't think I've ever heard of a mandate for where a quarterback has to watch at least four hours of game film to the point where he can't even be distracted. So let's say if he's making a meal or a protein shake or has the TV on in the background where on his laptop he's watching game film, he cannot be distracted. Now, first and foremost, who's monitoring this? Have the Arizona Cardinals given him an iPad, a laptop, or a tablet to where they have it monitored to where there's no extraneous noise or if he's in the car or if he's at the gym. I mean, this is uncalled for. And pretty much what you're saying is that you don't trust the player to put in the work outside of the facility to plan and prepare for that week's opponent. And I believe it starts before the first exhibition game right on through to however far the Arizona Cardinals make it not only just in a regular season, but even into the playoffs. But how are you going to monitor or police this is beyond me. Whether they have some tracking device on the tablet, which to me is a joke because you're just showing no trust in your player. And I get it that you look at what has taken place last year. Toward the end of the year, you started off 7-0. and He got hurt, did not play well down the stretch as I chronicled on Monday. And then we know about the playoff game. So... Instead of having a powwow between the owner, Michael Bidwell, or the GM and your franchise quarterback to say, we need you to invest your time into film study. And not to the point where in the contract, four hours a week, so I guess that's maybe what, an hour a day from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I guess, because Tuesday is generally the player's days off. And you don't think Kyler Murray is probably going to look at game film on his day off. All right, fine, but this is just a joke beyond all recognition. And I'm sure it doesn't sit well with Murray. Obviously, he agreed to it and signed it. I'm sure he did it with an eye roll. But now that it's out, and for everybody to kind of, I don't want to say ridicule, because to me, although this could be an indictment on Murray and his preparation for games, etc., But why would the organization do this? Why can't you just have a private powwow, sit down, hash it out, discuss it, and if for whatever the reason, as we get into the regular season, not to say you're going to add that to the contract, but that's when you sit down and tell your star quarterback, listen, we need you fully invested. You just can't rely on your ability to scramble, to make plays. You have to read these defenses. Obviously, they're very complex. We have to have you be as planned and map out whatever it is that you need to do throughout the course of a week with the first team, with the reps, etc., and try to focus in and zero in on what the game plan is for these defensive coordinators that they're going to try to attack and implement towards their offensive game plan. That's all there is to it. There's no need to have this kid go through four hours a week, and I understand that's not a lot, But still, 
Did they do that to Josh Allen? Did the Kansas City Chiefs do that to Patrick Mahomes? Now, I understand he's won a Super Bowl, been to two, and an MVP. I get it. But what about Dak Prescott in Dallas? Or even Deshaun Watson, who hasn't played football in two years. And maybe sitting out for God knows how many more games this coming season. I don't think they came across, whether mandate or not, to say, hey, listen, kid, you got to at least put in four hours of game film a week because we need you to plan and prepare as best as possible. They're not doing that to them. So they're doing it to Murray. And obviously it looks bad on him, whether it's warranted or not, understood, but it could have been done privately as opposed to having this leak out and becoming what it is. So to me, that's just a bad job by the organization. I get it. People say, Jay Reels, it's not your money you invested in the kid. What do you know about football, whatever? Well, if this hasn't happened to anybody else in the history of mankind in the NFL, why is it going to happen now? And don't you think the kid is going to be a little perturbed? I, oh, geez. They don't trust me? And it's not to say they may be wrong in that, but you got to have a little bit of trust to think that your player is going to put his nose in a tablet for four hours a week as opposed to, well, hey, kid, we have this in the contract. You're going to have to sign on this because, you know, we just don't trust you. I mean, that's a joke. Julio Jones, remember him? It's interesting because when I read the other day the blurb that Jones signs a one-year deal with the Bucs, I'm thinking, Jones? What Jones? Not Ronald Jones, the running back, who was on the Buccaneers over the last few years. And then I saw Julio Jones. I said, oh, he. I totally forgot about him because his one-year stint in Tennessee, on top of the last couple of years in Atlanta, not being much of a factor, I understand a lot due to injury. But by him being another weapon... And mind you, Chris Godwin, still recovering from an ACL injury, even though reports have it that he may be back by week one, because I believe he injured that in week 15. So that recovery is usually anywhere between six to nine months. So he may be on schedule to come back, if not by week one, somewhere within those first few weeks of the season. But by having Julio Jones, who said he's 100% healthy, raring to go, has an opportunity to get back to a Super Bowl, and obviously with Tom Brady on the center, This is a win-win for a Buccaneer team that it's Super Bowl a bust because we don't know how much longer Tom Brady's going to play. Although we think he's probably going to play until he's 75, but who knows? Remember, he has a contract with Fox when it's all said and done that's going to pay him, what, $37 million a year? So we all understand that he has that to fall back on, especially if the Buccaneers go on and win another Super Bowl. But Jones... If he's healthy and into it, why can't he have a big year? Why can't he be close to the all-pro that we've seen him during his heyday in Atlanta? That's what I got with the football people. I know as we get deeper into training camp, not that I'm going to go through all 32 teams or what have you, but as far as the big storylines, obviously I'll highlight those as we get into August and deeper into this Training camp. And the last thing I want to bring up, and I know the only time that I brought up Brittany Griner was the time back in February when she was caught with hash as she was, I believe, and I should know this, I don't know if she was going into Russia or she was trying to get back to the States. I think it may have been the latter than the former. But for Griner to get caught 
And I actually made her my zero of the week because I figured, hey, you got to use better judgment. I understand that you may have had just a small sample or obviously did not have a boatload of hash on you. But considering you're going into another country and not knowing what the rules and the laws are in those countries that you, something that you just don't want to risk. And as we found out later on, actually much, much later on is that the reason why she takes hash is for medical use, but you can't say that to the authorities in Russia or I'm sure any other country outside of the U.S. Or I would think at least the majority of the countries outside of the U.S. And as we know, she's been detained since February because of it. And again, judgment aside, does she need to be locked up? Absolutely not. But because of the climate and everything that's going on at that part of the world, and obviously who's leading that country, of course, you know over the last, what now, going on six months, Vladimir Putin, he's relishing the fact that, hey, I have this star WNBA player, and... The U.S. is going to want to do whatever it takes to bring him back. Well, not only am I going to take my time on this, but I'm going to get the Godfather deal that I want in order for me to release her so she could go back to the U.S. And as it was yesterday, the current administration here in the U.S., of course, led by Joe Biden, they offered a deal to Russia to where not only would they get the release of Brittany Griner, but also Paul Whelan, who's a Marine that's been detained going back since December of 2018. Now, the details of this offer have not been clear at the moment. I know a lot of the talk could be that Merchant of Death, who had sold arms to other countries to use against the U.S., so obviously not a good guy, and he's been sentenced to 25 years. He's in a prison in Illinois, to where I'm sure Putin's going to ask for him back if they're going to make this trade or transaction, whatever you want to call it. And I get it that that's very dicey considering what his intent was and trying to plot attacks or sell these arms to other countries to take out our fellow citizens. Obviously, you don't want to see that. And we understand that between Paul Whelan and even Brittany Griner, and I understand she's going to get more of the shine because of who she is. That's not to diminish anything what Mr. Whelan has been and what he's had to endure and suffer for going on four years, when you think about it. But sadly, Putin's going to be the one that is holding all the cards. And even if the Biden administration gives them the sweetheart deal, that doesn't necessarily mean that Putin's going to take it. And who knows whether the merchant of death comes back. And if that's enough, then so be it. But you know he is not going to be in any way, shape, or form rushing to make this move and to think that after that he could just wipe his hands and all is said and done. Because there could be some consequences specifically with this merchant of death and what that could mean down the road. Because it's not as if he's going to be shipped back to Russia and that all is going to be normal to where he's going to be imprisoned or is going to have to face any significant time. So this is going to be a developing story as to what's going to be offered. Will it be accepted? How long will it take for it to be accepted? What Putin's going to want in return? 
Is it that and then some? Stars, moon, sun, galaxy, uh, who knows? But for people to think that Brittany Griner is probably going to be on her way home anytime soon, uh, I wouldn't think so. Because as we've seen, not just recently, but over the years, you know, Putin isn't going to be the one guy that's going to have a heart. Let's just put it that way. So, something to keep an eye on. I know that's going to be an ongoing story until she gets back, and then we shall see. But once again, I don't think that no matter what Joe Biden and the administration does, I don't think this is going to be a swift and seamless exchange. And then lastly, Jason Tatum made a response to the engaging discussions that the Celtics and the Nets have had over Kevin Durant. And for the most part, took the high road, and understandably so. Said, it's not up to me, I'm not the GM. He says he loves the team as it's currently constituted, and understandably, rightfully so, considering they brought in Malcolm Brogdon, Danilo Gallinari, you're going to have the obvious pieces back. I know Jalen Brown on his Twitter account had an SMH shaking my head emoji or photo. I think he had a GIF or GIF that was posted on his account. And I'm 100% with you, Jalen Brown. Why the Celtics would do this, if you didn't hear the podcast on Monday, I'll say it briefly. I am not in favor of the Celtics bringing in Kevin Durant. And it's no offense to him, no offense to... His work ethic, playing ability, all that. We know he's an all-time great. We All that. And I love Kevin Durant. I'll say that a thousand times over. And it's not even an issue as far as the money. Yes, it is a lot. It's going to put them over the luxury tax. But lastly, and more importantly, age and health. If you can guarantee me four solid years of Kevin Durant, where all right, I understand he's probably not going to play every game, but if he plays... 65 to 70 games a year, great. If it's going to be a thing where it's 50 to 55, he's in and out, knees, ankles, quads, calves, uh uh-uh. I want no part of it. And I'll just leave it at that. And hopefully they don't pull the trigger on a trade because to me, as the way the team is now, it's perfectly fine. And what Brad Stevens did to upgrade, not only bringing in a wing player to spell both Brown and Tatum, but also a playmaking guard who has good ball handling skills and makes his teammates better. He has to stay healthy, though. Brogdon's a guy who's been injured left and right. So you do hold your breath there, but we understand he's a lot younger than Durant and provides a lot of that versatility and playmaking ability that the Celtics need from that position, more so than a guy like Durant who plays the same position as Jason Tatum So Tatum's going to have to take a backseat to what Durant does out of respect. And it's just going to be a whole mess as far as on-court chemistry is concerned. Not locker room chemistry. So that's what you have there. Besides that, people, nothing much going on in the NHL. Nothing much happening in any of the other sports. If you want to talk about Bubba Watson being the latest golfer to jump to the Live Tour, all right, you could say that. He is a two-time Masters champ. But is that going to be a situation where the PGA is going to be hurting or 
wondering, geez, we lost Bubba Watson, who's going to be next? Yeah, they could say that, but it is Bubba Watson. That's not to knock what he's done. When you win two Masters, that speaks a lot. Speaks volumes. But until we get the John Roms, the Scotty Schefflers, Rory McIlroy's, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieths, you get those golfers to leave, then you really have a story. Patrick Cantlay, but right now, Bubba Watson, he's going to live. God bless him. And I think they're also going to extend their events next year to 13. I believe they have eight this year. And granted that they had it a little bit of a late start. I understand. But for those who are wrapped up in that, and I understand that's something that the golf fan will pay attention to. But to me, that's much to do about nothing. No offense to Bubba Watson, but it's not as if you had one of the top 10, 20, or 30 guys from the tour jump ship to go to the live tour. So that'll pretty much do it. As always, super grateful and thankful that you stopped by to listen to this little podcast host just vent, spew, analyze, critique, praise on anything and everything that happens to do with what goes on in the world of sports. So just you stopping by means the world. I definitely don't take it for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, just to increase the visibility, to get the name out. So whether that means you post on social media or take a screenshot, put it on your stories, tag me on it. Of course, I'm on all the major social media accounts, which I'll get to in a second. So please spread the word. I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And thank you so much for stopping by. And of course, throw me a few stars, write a review on the podcast. As far as those aforementioned accounts, TikTok. The J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever you want to do, suggestions, send them to me. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth. And I put up a post there recently. I had it on my Facebook, Twitter accounts, just pretty much giving you an overview of what's happening lately. For those who want to subscribe on that platform and contribute in due time, once I get some traction, I'll have some exclusive content that I'll share, whether it's in the world of sports, whether it's about the podcast that you won't get on any social media accounts. First and foremost, it will go on there before it gets to the podcast or social media. So whatever you want to contribute, I would be more than thankful, grateful, and blessed to have that because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. It is in the blood. It is in the DNA. I've been talking sports pretty much since I came out of the womb. Whether it's critiquing, praising, analyzing with either harsh opinions or the ultimate kudos on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.